being able to talk to the people who are thinking, uh, you know, how to solve these issues with this new technology, which just feels very expansive and that like something like an NFT is, is like infinitely programmable and like seeing both the builders in the space providing these places for artists to experiment and then the artists uh, create like, like no two releases are the same. It's like, they're all, all incorporating different, you know, different, I guess if, if you want to call them different tech stacks and that they're using different platforms um, for different purposes to create their own worlds. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladin, and this week our guest is writer, musician, and host of Big Brother and the Holding Company podcast, Keegan Voice. Keegan discusses growing up in an artistic household, his love of music, and how music led him to writing and eventually Web3. Let's dive in. Keegan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, man. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. And uh, growing up, did you always have an interest in music and entertainment? Was that uh, a, a residing or presiding um, interest? Where where did you sort of cultivate the early beginnings to the path you're on now? Yeah. Um, kind of the first, you know, memory I have of music is... So I'm from a small town in Minnesota, a really small town, about 600 people. And my parents were both elementary school teachers, but both like, you know, interested in music in some capacity. And I remember, I remember dancing around the living room when I was like two or three to, to LA Woman by the Doors. And it's like still one of my earliest memories and it's really visceral. Um, so there's that. And, and I mean, my mom was a piano teacher and my dad, and his whole family like to sing, like still basically every time we get together and do a family gathering, there, there's, there's always karaoke involved. And uh, yeah, I mean, the family name is Voice, you know, our family name, so it works. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I was always connected to music and like grew up listening to mostly like, you know, classic rock type stuff, but I didn't really, I, I guess I didn't think beyond the actual experiential side of, of music until probably I uh, got to college. It was always just like a more of a love. I mean, I started playing piano because my mom was a piano teacher and I taught myself guitar a little bit when I was in high school, but I didn't really think, I don't remember thinking like, what what is this going to turn into, if anything, you know? Hmm. Hmm. So, so it was really just something that you enjoyed, were passionate about, but never envisioned how that would parlay itself into something grander. I spent a lot of time with music now that, now that I think about it. It's like I would, uh, when we first got a CD burner <laughs> on, on like our, our old desktop computer, I remember going to the public library all the time and, and you know, borrowing as many CDs as possible, bringing them back, but they'd all be scratched up and you know barely listenable but i would still you know i still wanted to rip them to to my itunes because it was just cool i guess there was like a sense of curation and and kind of collecting to mm -hmm. it that that i really yeah. enjoyed as well and yeah. and uh like the early days of the internet getting to do like actual research into the bands and the music and 
uh, and contextualizing the love for the, you know, something that was like purely sonic with like, you know, the stories of the people creating them. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until college that I, I, I don't know. I played a lot of sports in high school. I think I think I didn't really think. I don't remember thinking about the future that much, aside from like a pipe dream of being a professional baseball player at some point. Mm. I think which which everyone at some point, if you've never played baseball, uh, has you know, and that's yeah. instilled in you uh, probably around the t-ball era. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say basically. when when you first can round the bases and and then watch what you're doing uh, on TV. Yeah, um very cool so so you get to college and is that sort of the the merger of music with other interests how does then your path sort of evolve from there yeah so i mean i was also also in high school i developed love for in, you know like film um and I spent a lot of time watching movies. So when I got to college, I went to a liberal arts school that, that encourages people to explore. You aren't even allowed to declare a major for your first two years. Um, and I thought I wanted to study film. And I started to study film. And that was really cool. Like I really liked like, uh, that pursuit. But... I realized, I remember having a conversation with somebody, I actually played baseball my first year in college. Um, but I remember yeah, having a conversation with someone who was on the bus with me, also a baseball player, also a music guy, um, about my love for film. And I realized, or he actually realized that it was entirely contextualized and predicated upon my love for music. And like, that was what I liked. It was like, mm the mood like creating the mood i mean i love film as a standalone you know art form as well um but but realized that it was really music that when i was speaking passionately about film that is what i was talking about and he was like why you should study music then and i was like well maybe i should mm. <laughs> um so i did and i switched my focus to music there's a whole battery of classes that you need to take when you're going to major in something. And that's, you know, that's what I majored in. Um, amongst which, you know, music theory is, is a big part of it and music history. And at that point, the music department at the school was like, it wasn't very modern. So music history was like opera and like the romantic era of music, Baroque era, the classical era. And, I mean, it's cool, but it's not like not where I derive my love of music. Um, music theory also cool, like important to know for understanding the structure of music. But like, once you really get into the nitty gritty, it's, it's just like wasn't it wasn't quite what I was I was looking for. And so then I I sort of switched over to composition, and I focused on that, and I I focused on vocal performance as well. Um, and I, you know, I played in a band in college and that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I have some, you know, very fond memories of some, uh, you know, pretty wild shows that we, that we played in basements and in other strange places. Um, and yeah, at, at that point I just kind of leaned all 
in the music. You know, I had a radio show through the college radio station, eventually became the music director of our college radio station. Um, I like worked in, you know, in the concert hall, uh, you, you know, like arranging scores for the orchestra. And uh, I, I worked at our student run music, you know, pub, music hub um, called The Cave as like a sound engineer, although I would definitely not qualify myself as a sound engineer. <laughs> That's what I was doing, um, you know, for bands who, who would come visit and come play. Um, and I think that was also probably like the height of my music discovery. And I think it is for a lot of people, you know, getting to college and being independent for the first time. And like music is a, is kind of a natural language of communication, uh, sure. I, I think. And, uh, you know, meeting people who had a lot more exposure to other types of music than I'd had at that point. Like mostly what I'd listened to up, up until then was classic rock. And then I got you know, like way into new metal <laughs> late high school and was listening to a lot of like Slipknot and Korn and Tool and, uh, and you know, bands like that. And then being exposed now for the first time to you know, various indie music. I mean, I mean, back then it was still just called indie music and that actually meant something. Um, right. And like, you know, folk music and neoclassical music. I got exposed to minimalism, which became very formative for me. Um, and, you know, punk and post-punk and all of the things. So it, it was like, you know, an explosion in my musical world. And, and I think after that is when I, leaned into it realized that I, I still didn't know what i wanted to do after college but i knew it i wanted it to involve music right and and you talk about that sort of explosion of music and i think college and and sort of those those years where you have or in any situation when you're exposed to a variety of different people who all have different tastes it it's really quite an eclectic um experience to 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 see oh my gosh you know i might have only been listening to this one genre but now there's this whole world out there of these different sounds and these different performers totally. and yeah very cool um so then music becomes the central focus where where do you start to merge music and tech and sort of the the web3 components to your career yeah it still took a while after that. Um, my first job after college was working at a radio station in Chicago um, that is called WXRT. It's great. It was like, you know, one of the original free form radio stations back in the 70s. And um, it was a lot of fun to be there. And I was there for about a year before I left and I still didn't know what I still didn't know like how I wanted to be involved with music. I knew that I didn't want to follow like I didn't really want to be a performer. Like I remember you know my vocal instructor I was in college was like encouraging me to get into opera and or theater and this just had no interest in doing something like that. Was it that you weren't you weren't really passionate about it or yeah it, it, about opera specifically? Yeah, definitely. I definitely do not have a passion for opera. I think it's, you know, it's cool, but it's not, it's not what I'm passionate about. I mean, I loved playing, I loved playing in bands, um, but I, 
I don't know. I think I I didn't at that point have like the proactive to you know to continue to pursue bands. I also knew of bands as like not this very not this very economically viable path, <laughs> and had to choose something. And I still wanted to be close to music, so I I started writing about it. And uh, you know, someone told me at some point that. If I write about music, then I should. If I'm going to go to a show and write about a show, then I should get free entry to that show, and like that was a life changing realization. I was like, oh shit, I can write about music and just go see music for free, and and so I I started writing. I like had my my own blog that was called Hits from the Blog, um, and slowly but surely, like I I started writing for. Some other blogs, you know, still for free, and then started writing like you know for very small amounts of money. I was like the national indie rock beat writer for you know for AXS, uh, which is like known as being like a kind of a ticketing platform, sort of. Um, mm -hmm. They have like a TV station as well. Did that for a while, um, but yeah, I mean, mostly at that point, I was doing it just to go to the free show. I was going to like. You know, at that point, I was living in Boston. I was going to like four or five shows a week, just riding my bike all over the place. I could, I think I'd, you know, had my budget down where I could get like one beer at two of the five shows I went to each, each week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and then, and then after that, like I, I, I knew one of the, the, uh, the music editor, one of the, music editors at Noisy, which was one of the the, the uh, music verticals of Vice. And, you know, pitched something to him, a piece, and, you know, I wrote that, and it was like a, a very eye-opening process in terms of like being edited for the first time very heavily. And I remember taking it very personally and thinking that, you know, I was no good at this thing. Um, of course, that is just part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, moved to New York and continued to write for Vice a lot um and at that point was still just writing about various scenes like i was actually covering a lot of like experimental you know new york scenes talking to like these you know old avant-garde composers uh, you know covering some like neoclassical music and and people who were writing film scores um and you know found that really fascinating to be talking to to the conceptualists who um, really gave you a good lens in, in, into some of the why behind the music that, that they were making. And I thought that that, that felt, felt really expansive, um, both as an art form, as like an opportunity to write, you know, a write about it. Um, and it's, I realizing, I, I haven't even started to answer your question yet, but that's, that's the path up into the point where I was, I got into, uh, tech because being well being a freelance music you know music journalist living in new york uh, is is tough it's not exactly a lucrative career path and i um i just got tired of the hustle of having to write sure, yeah about it's every, a lot, lot of grind yeah 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 every little thing um yeah i mean i was also writing for for you know uh for nerdist at the time um and writing you know like eight articles a week for them and writing for vice and it's just writing a lot so I started 
I kind of accidentally started doing doing some recruiting work in like tech startups and and that expanded into like you know people operations at as a whole and at you know initially I had no interest in this thing I did not I didn't want to be doing it I just wanted to be doing music stuff um but in hindsight it I I am really grateful for that experience because it kind of it gave me a lens into how tech works and how organizations are structured because I was hiring from like all of these all of these different perspectives from like you know C suites to to all the way across to you know front end engineers to to like design interns and marketers you know kind of across the whole gamut so like seeing seeing the organization and like the objectives through each of these lenses was was actually actually pretty cool once i figured it out um and got involved like that work kind of expanded into doing like you know like culture building and 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 some dei work and like immigration support and i actually came to you know enjoy that uh quite a bit um and after a couple of years of doing that in tandem with my music journalism, I quit. I mean, I, mean, I kind of quit both for a while and started my own music startup uh, called Gray Matter, uh, which is like a community layer on top of existing streaming services. Mm. And um, continue to pursue that. But like thinking back to this, this was 2019 when it was first conceived. And, we we first started to work on it, but it feels like, you know, thinking back on that version of myself, it, it was it was a very naive version of of myself and thinking that I I had, you know, wherewithal in the music tech space because I'd been a music journalist and because I'd done people operations. But the music industry is a very <laughs> interesting, uh, kind kind of convoluted space that uh has a lot of complexities i think unnecessarily so and yeah i mean every single day just showed me how little i actually knew about the music industry and music tech mm. you know specifically um and, and just this is coming from working you know writing extensively in uh, in and about the music industry so that, that's a interesting realization yeah, I wasn't I wasn't writing about the industry so much then. I was writing about different music scenes and like the artists themselves and the music that they were making. I didn't really touch on the industry itself in my journalism prior to to that. Um and yeah, it was <laughs> it was just constant discomfort for a couple of years. Um and you know the pandemic happened and uh, I, I think that's when I kind of returned, you know, to Web three as well. I'd been sort of peripherally involved as you're pivoting from music back to Web three, but having both worlds sort of be at the forefront. What was it that helped you carve a niche that embodied both lanes? Hmm. That's a good question. What it felt like to me is that there were a lot of, there were a lot of tech people, um, you know, there were a lot of very technical people who were building 
in Web3. And there were a lot of artists also who were kind of playing a dual role of playing around with like these these different mechanisms for for distributing and and you know selling their art and and connecting with people and cultivating community. Um but there there seemed to be less of an awareness of I guess, you know, like kind of the legacy industry, which at that point I understood a bit better after, you know, after struggling intensely <laughs> through building a startup in the industry. And 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 really um, expounding upon the benefits of Web three without and and like on chain, you know, specifically in regards to music, uh, without being blind to to the incumbents uh, that still persist and still hold almost all of the power in the music industry, and and that sort of that that intersection um felt like a really interesting juxtaposition uh and it, it's been really cool i mean like being able to talk to the people who are thinking uh you know how to solve these issues with this new technology which just feels very expansive and that like something like an nft is is like infinitely programmable and like seeing both the builders in the space providing these places for artists to experiment and then the artists uh create like like no two releases are the same it's like they're all all incorporating different you know different i guess if, if you want to call them different tech stacks and that they're using different platforms um for different purposes to create their own worlds and and i think it's 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 because like of of the decentralized you know, kind of open source ethos of Web3, it allows you to, you know, to transcend the the traditional walled gardens of of centralized platforms. Um, and yeah, that, I, that idea of world building um, is, you know, is really fascinating to me. So thinking about that from a music perspective and like a return to context and a return to, you know, like human connection that, has been abstracted away from you know the streaming platforms that we have. I think that all those things made me you know quite interested in in the space and like trying to marry these two things. Sure, sure. And and how then once you had that as your call it your central focus, how did that road lead to Decentral? Yeah. Um, Decentral is actually part, like a, a part of the early part of of you know that decision. Um, I, I think when I first um, you know started to marry these mechanisms, I was thinking about it more through you know more through gray matter, my startup, in in how like seeing all of the benefits of of Web three, um, but that it you know has many challenges, obviously. It's, Produces a lot of friction and a lot of, um, you know, it's more expensive, et cetera, et cetera, than like using something like Spotify, and and thinking about like like sort of uh, reconceptualizing what gray matter could be as as kind of a bridge and like start you know to leverage some of these mechanisms. So that was kind of my first time thinking about these things, and and then I met you know I met Matt 
actually through FWB. Um, and Matt is, you know, the editor in chief at Decentral. And he had posted wanting to look, you know, that, that he was looking for a writer. And I reached out to him, you know, sent him a few clips. And um, the, you know, the first piece that I ever wrote for him, you know, like, well, first we like had a conversation and, and I went, well, and, you know, I pitched him this piece on like this, this FWB dinner that I was going to here in London. Um, and I wrote about it. Um, and I went, well, and then I pitched him, you know, this like larger piece um, on music NFTs. Uh, and Matt, Matt let me write like close to 4,000 words. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> which I which I really appreciated because I felt like all of them are warranted, although I do have a bad habit sometimes of forgoing brevity in, we, in my we, writing. Well, well, uh, I, 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 I hear you and I, uh, can, can relate. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be succinct. It's like that, you know, that Mark Twain quote. It's like, if I had had more time, I would have, I would have written less. <laughs> um, so, and, and yeah, and that was that first music NFT piece was like, I, I still didn't really, like, I've been thinking about this, um, this stuff more conceptually and how it might apply to my startup and, and that project, but hadn't really been speaking with anybody in the space yet. Um, so that piece was kind of the first excuse I had to reach out to people and like, you know, can you tell me about what you're doing? Why you're doing it? Are you like why you're excited about it? And um, and then you know in that piece, just trying to capture like uh, you know the nuance of the goods and the bads of what music NFTs are and what on-chain music is. I guess more generally, I think um, oftentimes a lot of the rhetoric that exists around Web three and Web three music is is either very good or very bad <laughs> it's either you know hyper stigmatized or it's seen kind of through rose-colored lenses and i think there um are some good reasons for it to be stigmatized and and not and there are good reasons to be optimistic about it and not um so trying to capture that and i think that's that's sort of been my uh my grounding principle as I've continued to write is to not let myself get dragged too far one way or the other, because it's very easy to, you know, to go drink the Kool-Aid um, and or, you know, fully reject. <laughs> uh, like there are good arguments that I've read for both. So like trying to maintain some sort of neutrality um, through context, I guess. But yeah, that's that's been my journey with Essential, and um, that's how it started, anyways. And from there, as you know, I'm very grateful to have had an opportunity to speak with a lot of you know the builders and the artists in this space, um, which has been uh, both a privilege and like you know an incredible opportunity to you know to deepen my own knowledge of of what's going on how it all works, where it's going, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of those conversations that you're having and in terms of your own show, uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company, how, how does, how do you continue to kind of walk that line of neutrality 
while also getting to uncover information from some of these leading voices and and really how have you cultivated community in that sense hmm. yeah um i mean i think it helps that pretty much everyone building in the space um has has really good intentions that are rooted in the right things in in like you know similar observations of what's not working in the music industry and what needs to be changed so and because i i, I think like it's easier to to maintain neutrality to to maintain neutrality when you're speaking with somebody who is talking about their story and their project through the lens of their own story because it makes sense and it's like there's nothing wrong <laughs> even if like things have changed in the trajectory of a certain project like when it's sold through the lens of story you understand how how people get there and and i think that context is really important um and and i think you know telling that story is and it's part of the the ethos of decentral something that you know kind of really resonated with me from you know, from the get-go was this is, um, you know, we're trying to tell and share these stories um, through the lens of the builders um, rather than, you know, talk about the tech because we need to humanize what's going on. And I mean, that was, you know, that was amazing. So I think like a lot of of my writing and a lot of, of like the features and profiles that I do on people is more rooted in the stories themselves. And from there and what, what they're actually building, I guess, can let like the readers um, make their own, you know, kind of make up their own minds and establish their own opinions about uh, that. I get I get a little bit more ranty in my you know my weekly newsletter, which which is called the Beat, in which I I talk a little bit, but I, I think most of my rants are still against like um, like you know like a lot of the silos and and things that exist in web two and, and, and like the over financialization generally of the space, um, rather than targeting any individual person. So I guess to answer your question, I think rooting, uh, stories in people's stories is, is the key. Um, and, and then speaking about trends more generally without targeting anybody is, is also a key in, in being able to, you know, stay neutral, but also informed and, and you know, you know, maintain connective relationships as as well. Well, and that and that element of connective relationships. I mean, it's you're really finding the, as you mentioned, the human elements of the people behind the tech, and how, at the end of the day what they're putting into their work is ideally consistent across the board in terms of, you know, as you mentioned, uh, perhaps there's a lot of altruism and, and uh, goodwill that is in the space and, and it's kind of uncovering those anecdotes and stories and motivations um, that are powering the product. But, those conversations uh, kind of in line, as you're saying, with with the essential uh, mission and, and sort of the work you're doing. It's 
it's figuring out um, what those motivations are and and how people have been able to lean into them to create what they're creating. Yeah, totally. Um, and and I think like it's also important to say like you know the road to hell it, you know is paved with good intentions, um, as as people <laughs> say. And there's a big difference between between the theory between like the theoretical side of what people want to do and like how that actually shows up in the actual and the actual ways that people behave with communities and technology. Um, I, I just, uh, I was at ETCC last week in Paris, which is at the Ethereum community conference and was at a talk where someone was talking about, um, this exact thing, like, you know, thinking about socioeconomic ideas and, uh, trying to translate in, you know, the theory of them, how they can be better to like actually being better. And he talked about, you know, this meme on one of the slides that, that, that he had seen about like, uh, what it's like thinking, you know, about a DAO versus what it's like being in a DAO. And one side is like, you, you know, rainbows and chocolate and all these things. And the other person is just like very sad <laughs> <laughs> because like how, you know, how, how we theorize things are going to turn out generally are, are not the case. And that's why it's so important to actually actually find evidence in, in human behavior and let that be the guide um, uh, to, to what people build. Um, and, and I think that there's, there's a lot of work still to be done on, on that front and actually finding out what the consumer layer of, of Web3 looks like. Um, I, th you know, I think pretty generally, but, but, you know, I, that also applies to music, but, um, yeah, I think people are thinking about that as, as well. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that, you know, how that manifests. Sure. And well, I think what you're underscoring too, is the R and D that, that web three presents to, in this case, we'll call them, you know, uh, to both the music industry and to other sectors as well, where by interacting with whether it's the the existing community in the Discord or or through Twitter or whatever platforms people use to engage with the fans of music or the enthusiasts of a product, it's it's kind of soliciting that feedback so that there's more of a chance that the theory is is aligned with the wants and the needs of the people that are participating in the consumption. Yeah, totally. And and that was one of the most exciting things, you know, initially about uh about getting back into you know, into web3 was uh seeing that manifest on on FTBV's Discord and and seeing, you know, kind of the governance structure sort of arise organically through you know, through the small community that eventually turned, you know, larger and larger and how um they established kind of you know like a social protocol that worked for them um and and in you, you know after that like that spurred a lot of of theory and you know also before that but i guess that that was my beginning into into that like that spurred like a a big you know interest in like things like social governance and um and thinking more about mechanics behind the structures that 
we rely on all of the time. Um, and, and I think that's when I like really started, you know, to dive into things like how does, you know, how does the music industry work? Like really into the nitty gritty and the granular aspects of, of, of like licensing and copyrights and who owns Spotify <laughs> and like, what does it mean that these, these people own Spotify, you know, for the rest of the industry. Um, and it, it like, you know, sort of created a template for how I think, uh, we should probably be thinking about, um, you know, the social structures that, that surround us and the norms that we embrace. And, um, and I think that's been overall pretty healthy. And I, it's, it's like, you know, kind of shed a light on, on the way in which, you know, things work. And I think people are demanding a bit more because of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's given web three uh, because of its, you know, I guess, open source mission oriented nature by and large more steam. And, and I think, more credibility by those who have taken the time to understand how how it works or how it could work anyways what do you think on a on a personal tip having taken the time yourself to understand how how things work uh, in the space what's one of the guiding principles that's helped you and it could just be actually in your career in general. It doesn't have to be Web3 specifically, but what's one of the, the factors that's helped you bet on yourself when making these moves from, you know, initially film to then music to then uh, tech, then coming back to tech after going to music again? You know, how, how, how have you remained confident in what you're doing and, and that, eventually the pieces will align as they should. <laughs> yeah. That's a big question. Yes. I, I don't think I, I don't think I was that confident for a lot of it. <laughs> um, I could think I just, I followed where, um, I mean, it was, it was partially where my interests were pulling me and partially where like my needs were pulling me. Um, Sure. You know, you know, the initial move to tech was not because I wanted to be in tech, but because I needed to make make more money than I was. Um, and then, but yeah, I think I think that to the other side of of that, uh, you know, moving forward with like letting interest pull you in directions, and when you have the privilege for it, it allow you to do so, I think is, can be really powerful. I've never, I, I think because I've never really had a job, <laughs> like I've, I've been, uh, employed technically for like one year of my life. Um, I, th I think that's sort of created a different, you know, a different mindset, uh, of how I should spend my time and, and you, you know, the opportunities and places in which that time could be spent. And, and music's always been like the, the under, the underlying, or I guess, I guess overarching theme, um, you know, in this path. 
but yeah, I mean, it's contingent upon a lot of privilege and uh, I think just kind of waking up every day, feeling a little overwhelmed and just taking a moment to meditate and be like, all right, you, you can do it today. <laughs> yes. Trying to embrace resilience as much as possible. Um, and just hoping it works and that I don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you, to, to, to what you're saying, you know, it's hard to fuck it up when, or it's harder to fuck it up when what you're pursuing and what you're involved in is something you are genuinely interested in and genuinely curious about. And perhaps having that deeper level in a, of interest and a deeper level of curiosity allows more malleability to find opportunity and see possibilities that perhaps you know you, you wouldn't be thinking about if you were less passionate yeah i think um i think that's definitely true um i think uh when you are passionate about something you're a little bit more willing to deal with deal with failure and confusion <laughs> and uh feeling overwhelmed because like you're you're committed to this thing and um and i think yeah it, I, I think like just taking it day by day and and continuing to try to channel that passion um as much as you can i think that's if you have the means if you have the privilege to do so is is a not a terrible way to live <laughs> no and 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 even if you didn't have the means doing that in your spare time until sure. eventually that becomes the way in which you're providing yourself sustenance could also be a potential path too totally totally it's happened before definitely. yes <laughs> yes uh in terms of means uh and in terms of current means and in terms of uh work that uh you're currently involved in what what can we expect to see from uh both your work with essential and and your podcast and gray matter and everything else yeah i think um regarding essential it'll be a lot uh, more of what you've been seeing if you have been seeing it <laughs> i've got a weekly newsletter called The Beat. Um, got a weekly podcast called Big Brother and the Hodling Company, um, and uh, we'll continue to, you know, talk to and write stories about the people in the space who I think are are doing the most interesting work to um, help it achieve, uh, you know. I guess it's greatest potential um and yeah with gray matter um that it, we just launched this kind of tangential music community called the crate coalition um which is oriented around the ideas that curation is care and and music is interdependent um and that sharing and discovery music with other people um is great <laughs> and uh we're organizing in a discord for the time being 
you know, sharing music together, talking about it uh, with with more context and more human connection than is um, allowed or or empowered um, on either stream platforms or mainstream social platforms. And um, yeah, we have a weekly you know conversation series uh, there called For the Record, where we talk about other music people and and listen to their stories and and uh what they're listening to and um uh yeah and you know eventually the hope is that we can learn a lot about how people um behave around music how how these connective tissues um you, you know form and how music is a really really powerful vehicle for you know forming those connective tissues and build uh, you know, a music specific kind of community platform, you know, through Grey Matter and continue to build that in a way that, you know, reflects uh, the uh, connective potential of music and bringing people together. So those are a few things. Very cool. And uh, if people want to check out those few things, where can they find you? Where can they find those uh, projects? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's it's at McKeegan. That's M A C E A G O N. Um, you know, Gray Matter is at graymatter.fm. Uh, that's that's the website. And if you're if you're into Discord and music, <laughs> you can find you can find the Crate Coalition there. It's called Crate Coalition. Um, yeah, there's some good spots, I think. Right on. Well, Keegan, thank you again uh, for, for coming on. It's It's been a pleasure learning more about you and your journey and the inputs to uh, some of your various works and uh, the inspirations for all of it. And uh, really enjoyed learning that information and also just getting to know you on a slightly deeper level. So yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. And, um, you know, appreciate the time and the space for for me to share. Honestly, I think this is the first, first time I've ever been on this side of the interview table. So, you know, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Essential Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.